organization of 30,000 plus people, 50 plus departments with various divisions. When you're on a path toward a vision, communicating consistently with all those people in all those different ways is challenging. You often have to say the same thing in seven different ways until people really get it. But I think when you're trying to build a coalition around moving the organization forward, really is communicating what are we doing and why is it important and what problems are we solving. Welcome to the Data Chief. Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. This is part two of our interview with Jason Lally, the Chief Data Officer for the City and County of San Francisco. In part one, Cindy and Jason talked about the kindness of data clarity and the power of a declarative mission statement. In this episode, Jason discusses making the government's data work for the people it serves, the key gateway to better communication, and how to turn problems into opportunities. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for you to use search and AI to analyze your company's data lightning fast. Business people at companies like Walmart, Hulu, and Medtronic use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can too. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. So let's talk about the most popular data set of the year, COVID. So looking at your data, this is like the classic problem of getting the plumbing right and data feeds changing and requirements Mm -hmm. changing. So, you know, we started just reporting cases. Now it's cases by gender, by age, by race. And you recently had to even change the data feeds. Mm-hmm. which sounds like what I what a nightmare using manually entered faxed lab results mm-hmm. right yes there, there there's a bit of that now to be clear i am not doing that <laughs> i know i know not you personally, <laughs> not me personally. You, you didn't even have a look of horror like yeah 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 this uh, is the way it goes <laughs> yeah well that's a, yeah it's a, you know um i i think what's interesting about what's going on right now is that it's a lot of the same things, but condensed and, and in very small period of time, right? And so it's a lot of the same things that we've been dealing with the past seven years. You know, yes, things get faxed and they get input by, by humans from one system to another. That happens with COVID. I mean, the thing that I will say, I mean, I am so, so impressed with um, our partners at um, Department of Public Health, where really they ultimately uh, are on the f- sort of front lines, data lines, processing and making sure that the data gets there because it is informing decisions, right? And so um, they stood up very rapidly a lot of process, sort of patch over some of these things. And then, you know, and that was earlier on. And then, you know, yeah, they they did a lot of work, um, work that, you know, I know about, but man, I, I did not see everything that they had to do. Um, but it really must have been a big effort um, to kind of reset that, that feed in the back end that we get. And, uh, what it did is, is it allowed the data to get into the systems sort of faster. There's still faxes that come in, but that's, it's not affecting the feed as much. Um, so largely what, what's happened now is that data is getting into the, the case data quicker. There's still lags. There's still issues, right? And we're working on trying to communicate what those remaining kinds of things are. And they're not, there's not even 
any number of like data pipeline work we could do. It's the reality is that there's a specimen collection date and it takes a while for a lab result to come back. And so there's going to be a lag and that's going to be natural. Um, uh, so those are the kinds of things that we're working on actually trying to communicate and help people understand because it, it can be, it can be confusing. Yeah. Again, here too, I think your explanation of the backdating, the changing, why a value might change for the citizens was very good. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. We're, yeah, um, we're actually, we're, we're working on a, a, a refresh of that to, to uh, try to make it even clearer. But yeah, no, I mean, there's been backlash in some cities and counties across the U.S. and across the world, really. Again, I think it's a lot of data fluency. Now, you also described, so if you look year over year, so one of your measures is how much people use this data. Can you share what your year over year usage is? Yeah, I tweeted that out. And uh, I I can't remember. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the exact numbers are. But um, Well, I'm sure it keeps changing 1,400%, (laughs) right? Yeah, it was, we launched on April 7th the initial set of dashboards and it was just the, they did the press release and uh, like I, I looked at those and it was just incredible. The, the amount of, of, uh, energy that, that we got. It, it is the, the most eyeballs we've yeah. gotten and what would, what, what is showing up in the data continues to show up in the data, right? It, it goes in these peaks and valleys, but the generally the thing that is consistent is there are definitely people looking at every morning at 9 a.m. and really checking. So 9 a.m. when the data reloads. Yeah. Have you figured out what's the deal with the spikes in tests on a Thursday? Is that like, get me tested before the weekend? (laughs) Do we even know? Good question. I I haven't looked that deep into that. It's very spiky. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm sure actually that the folks in uh, Epi Surveillance Branch of of DPH would would probably know that answer to that, um, or at least be able to figure that out if they don't. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, I don't, I I, I don't know actually, um, but that might be. I have to say, I felt like I was picturing my daughter in your dashboard because she's a furloughed marine biologist in Monterey, now doing mm. COVID testing in mm. San Francisco. Yeah. So I was uh, like, well, oh, that, there's, there she is. <laughs> thank you for, <laughs> it's, uh, it, that's important work. Um, I, you your, your daughter? Yes, yes, yeah. I asked her to take pictures because I'm like, this is historic. But she's like, no, 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 mom, we'll get in trouble for that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, no, it's it's good. Um, the other thing I noticed as you publish your data sets that is important is you bring data storytelling mm-hmm. into this. So you don't just publish data sets. Mm-hmm. You don't just publish dashboards. You publish stories. What mm-hmm. is your thinking with this? Our thinking is that data without context is sort of inert. Data can highlight things, but it, we really need to tell a story around it. And one of the things that we've been doing that I is really important is we are, we engage. So there's in our emergency operations, uh, sort of infrastructure, um, there's a joint information command, which is sort of, that's where all the sort of information dissemination happens. And it's set up in the incident command system so that we are consistent because you don't want to be giving different messages. You want, you want to make sure that people are doing the same rights, uh, washing their hands, staying in sheltering place, right? You want to do that consistently for, um, for public safety reasons. We work with those folks there who are communications professionals. We also work with um, folks in the community branch. There's an equity branch. Um, our our uh, director of the Office of Racial Equity is, is there, um, uh, Shakira Sinley. Um, and 
what we want to do is, so the storytelling is really important because we want to make sure that the community knows that we are, we are listening, right? And that we are highlighting things that might not be super obvious in the data themselves. So for example, the disproportionate impact on people of color, right? We want to make sure that it, we reflect that we see that in the data and that we want to do something about that, right? And then that we're taking action. It's really about us as a city making sure that we're consistent in that message because these are trying times and there's a lot of anxiety and frankly, a lot of distrust in, in government at all levels, including yes. the local level for, for good reasons. And so it's, it's incumbent on us to demonstrate that we are, we are listening and that we are, we are doing what we can and, and we're trying to do that in different ways through, through storytelling and, um, but also through one of the things that you don't see on the dashboard is there's additional community outreach and, uh, direct engagement that others are doing, um, and using the sort of tracker dashboards and reports and stories to engage their, their own communities. So it's interesting that you worked with somebody in communications. Would you recommend that a data professional develop their data storytelling skills? Or no, will we always be better collaborating with the professional communications and and storytellers? It just depends, right? If you're a data leader, right, there's only so much time in the day to, to sort of cover. So I think you need to be fluent in communication, or at least fluency might be the maybe that's not the bar, but at least understanding what good looks like. Um, enough so that you, you can know, oh, this isn't good enough. I need to bring in someone who's really good at this to shape it up a little bit. Right. And so I think it's, for me, I think it, a data professional should absolutely have at least a little bit of communicate, right? Understand information hierarchy, understand how people read on the web, especially, right? Especially if we're doing public reporting or, right. Did those kinds of things understand, at least have that level of understanding. So that we, we can do better in this, right? We can understand our own gaps and then bring in people as needed. So I, I think it's just, it's just an awareness, right? Yeah. So do you think that gets back to the skills gap or what skills you wish people would invest in or was part of becoming a data professional, a data chief? I mean, you, you were learning Java at 12. (laughs) (laughs) Do we, is this, we need to combine some of the liberal arts skills with the technical skills? Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely think so. I think we in at DataSF, we really try to hire, uh, we're looking for, um, you know, technical aptitude, data, data literacy. We're also looking for, for folks who can communicate, who can put together a good deck and kind of distill the thing down. It's not about journalism. It's not, they don't have to be that level of, of communicator, but want to make sure that they, they have thought about it and they present it back to us that, that they are really thinking about their audience. You know, that's what we look for. And I think, yeah, as much as possible, you know, when we're, when we're educating future data professionals, it should be a well-rounded curriculum. Uh, however that may be, whether it's university or, or alternative settings, we should be really uh, making sure that the data professionals are, are well-rounded in that way. Um, because all of the work that we have to do in order, when we are most effective, is when we can connect to the people who are the experts, right? The subject matter experts. When we can connect to them and communicate with them, it makes our work that much better, right? Because we, we can be translators and we can distill that. And, um, in order to do that, I think you do need that, you know, you need to have empathy. You need to, 
to sort of be clued into that. That's the whatever gaps you may have in your own subject matter expertise so that you can bring it in. Yeah. Translators, empathy. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I like that. That's important. So skills, we talk about the skills gap. Where do you recruit or how do you find mm-hmm. talent? How much are you upskilling versus recruiting from outside across your org, your direct reports or agencies? Yeah. So um, and I'll, I'll speak to sort of our organization, which we're kind of unique right now because we're, 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 Still a little bit in startup mode in some ways. I mean, we've been around seven years, but in, you know, we're, we're a small team. So we as a, as a team kind of keep up on skills, right? That's sort of built in. We make sure that people have the opportunity to sort of professionally develop, pick up new tools. I make sure that folks have the opportunity to stretch. Um, we do weekly one-on-ones and, and quarterly check-ins to make sure that we're checking in on professional development. So that, that's sort of baked in and it's just, it's, it's sort of part of, of our, of our culture. Um, and, and I, I want to sort of give kudos to, to Joy for really setting that, that initial frame. And, and we, you know, we worked on that together. Um, and we're carrying that forward. So it, in terms of our team, we're small. We don't do a whole lot of recruiting. We are actually going to be, um, be hiring. Um, and the way we're thinking about it now, and we actually were, we're, we're just now talking about this as a team and how we want to make sure we, we, we want to have a diverse team. We want to make sure we, cast that wide. So we're, we're actually doing that right now. We're actually talking about, and that this is the way that we handle it. We talk about it as a team, talk about what our goals are, what, how we want to reach people, being very intentional about what the outreach strategy is. And it's so important for our team to bring in good folks and bring in diverse folks that we, we take it upon ourselves to, to do that outreach. We're small and I want to make sure that we really are in there and, and really like helping to shape, you know, how we do that. We work with our HR professionals at, at the city, of course, and all the sorts of other things, but we, we really own and make sure that, that we are crafting the strategy. And so, you know, making sure we're in job boards that have a, a very broad appeal and make, and hitting diverse audiences, making sure that we're communicating directly to communities and finding communities that we may not be in that are other, that other folks are in our other peers. Um, so really just doing sort of outreach in to, to folks who have done this before. Um, so that, that's on our team. Again, we're, we're small. We're, we're, yeah. but in terms of the city, what we try to do there is we, um, a couple of departments we've worked with who are trying to figure out, you know, they want to sort of upskill and they want to kind of create sort of their own, not maybe data centers of excellence. It, it might not even be that, but just data teams that, that they can rely on. So we've been brought in a couple of times to sort of advise on job descriptions and, and to help them think about how they can reach a broader audience. So we'll, we'll advise them on that. We won't drive that, but, um, we do try to give them, to educate them on you know, where you can reach these data professionals, where, where they, what kind of communities are they in? Because it's, it is, there is a learning curve there, right? And there are departments that are either just hiring folks new or, you know, haven't had a strategy around it. So we do advise folks on that. And we, we work with departments as they are building those teams. So giving the departments the best practices, really. Yeah. yeah. And some of the outreach are hackathons, public hackathons, part of your strategy there? So we, we've sort of evolved that. We don't do as many hackathons as, say, in the very beginning of, of Data SF. I think in the beginning, it helped galvanize a community. Now we have um, what's a great an outcome of that is that we have a, a local group called um, Code for San Francisco. Uh, it's a civic technology group. And so they, they've also evolved. They don't really do like traditional hackathons, but they do hack, 
what are called hack nights. Um, now they're virtual and we, we are, I actually, uh, they have a core team. I have, um, now I'm doing weekly check-ins with them, especially during COVID just to keep them up to date on what's going on. And that is a community that is actually a pretty big community. Now it's in terms of active members, I, I don't know, but you know, their reach is around 2000 or so individuals, uh, maybe more that have come from, a a variety of, of backgrounds. So um, it's not the only community that we want to engage because it, we, we want to make sure we reach as many of the, those different communities as we can, but it is one uh, it is one method and one input. And we definitely reach out to those folks um, and, and engage in that way. And I'd be remiss in saying we do, we do when we can, uh, we actually co-sponsor open data day uh, with them and uh, National Day of Civic Hacking um, as well. Yeah, all great events, all great events. And so um, we have the upskilling, we have recruiting for talent. What about where to start? So you've been in this role new in 2020 in the department for a number of years. If you were advising a newly minted CDO in a city or Mm -hmm. county, where would you tell them to start? What's the first thing they should pay attention to? I feel like my advice to everyone when they ask this question is to start by listening. Um, and to do that, you find the people you need to talk to and the people they say you need to talk to and you you build a community and you, you listen. Um, I think that's true even if you are coming into a team that's fairly well established, um, that might have a strategy, that might have an approach. Um, I think you still need to do that work in the very beginning. Um, and especially if you have an existing team, right? Sitting down and understanding, you know, what's the culture? What, what are the, what are we working on? What, what's important? Um, and then you've got to distill that and you've got to make decisions and lead. Um, but I think really it's no matter what, it starts with listening. Listening. Yeah. And so that's listening to the people. When you think about the challenges as well as the opportunities, what do you think's the biggest blocker to executing on your vision? Is it the people? Is it access to the data? Is it the technology or the culture? I went to still in people, technology, or any, it's sort of um, kind of all me- meshes together into this pace of change, right? You, I think the biggest blocker for me or, or, or challenge, I, I don't think it's a blocker. I just think it's something you have to address, which is you've got an, you know, at least in our case, an organization of 30,000 plus people, 50 plus departments with various divisions, you know, so when you're at, when you're on a path toward a vision, um, communicating consistently with all those people in all those different ways is challenging. Um, and so you gotta, you, you often have to uh, say the same thing in seven different ways um, until it, people really get it and you have to demonstrate. Um, so it's not that necessarily that people get in the way or technology gets in the way or data. Um, all those things are there. They're all challenge, They're all things that kind of, but I think really when you're trying to build a coalition around moving the, the organization forward really is communicating, you know, what are we doing and why is it important and what problems are we solving? Um, and doing that consistently across a very large organization can be, uh, can be hard. Yeah. So I'd say some data chiefs or data and analytics leaders think, I said that once. That's enough. <laughs> right. And you're saying se- seven things, same thing, seven different ways. <laughs> yeah. In an ideal world, you'd have one way to say it and it would get through to everybody at once. But I, in, in practice, as, as much as I try to do and become a better communicator, 
Um, I think part of becoming a better communicator is, is even just listening to w- what people don't understand and then figure out a different way to say it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what's the preferred, what do you think is the most effective mechanism? Is it the letters, the blogs? Is it town halls? Is it one-on-one meetings? Yeah, I think the most effective, I, it, uh, it boils down to, I mean, we, we always, Data SF, we kind of had this notion that we start with problems and move toward opportunities. So, so you're, you're asking about sort of tactics, and I think those tactics are easier to put in place in um, one-on-one or in, you know, working groups or small, you know, like smaller groups of folks where you really find a problem that everyone can agree on and orient to that problem and demonstrate that you can actually solve that problem together, right? And then you build trust. So I think it is, it's, it's sort of in those, those moments of impact that change happens. And then once, once you get that rhythm, I think, yeah, I, I think you also want to augment that with, um, we do, um, not town halls, but, you know, we'll do brown bag events, right? Or things where we, we invite the whole, you know, anyone who wants to come to come and learn about things that data is doing. We've done innovation and data awards in the past. So various different ways. Like I, I, I don't think there's one way. I think you want to kind of mix it up and you want to do what's appropriate to your organization. But I do think that one-on-one, at least in our context, that one-on-one thing of building that trust and those relationships that, that, that has seemed to be uh, most effective, especially when you tie that to solving someone's actual problem. Yeah. So if you look ahead three years from now, uh, we talked about data with policing, with healthcare. If you look ahead three years from now, what do you think is the biggest opportunity for the city and county as it relates to data? Where would you like to see the priorities be? I think for for me, um, you know, and with the, it's it's actually been really clarifying in some ways with the the, the COVID response. Because I think that is setting a mold for for where we could move into the future, and and, and honestly, those were priorities. Um, but in terms of you know better communication with um, our community, better engagement, um, we're actively. I, I'm not going to pretend that we're there yet, but we're actively building out that. And I, you know, I'm excited if I can say that at least for, for three years. I mean, I I don't like being in a pandemic, but I am optimistic that in um, in that three-year time frame, that we will be in a place where we have gotten better at um, sort of what engagement looks like. What is data-driven engagement? What or what is how we get that input from from community to make sure that we're we're producing information that is useful, right? Not just checking the transparency box, but doing things that actually help community solve problems with us, right? As government, I, that's where I want to get. That has been a priority, but now with with this, it sort of even bump even further up and now we're actually engaged in it right now um so i'm even without additional resources or additional people i think we're just gonna we're just gonna do that and we're just gonna see what we can do to improve the way we engage our communities with data um improve understanding of that and then get getting those whole that holistic picture for folks right there's you know criminal justice is one that i've already mentioned um but housing is another um housing right yeah yeah. Homelessness is another, right? So Huge. helping people get that holistic picture of what we're doing and what the data is saying, um, uh, because if people get pieces of it, right? But they don't get the whole thing. And, um, you know, I really want to make sure that we, we can do that. 
Do you think smart cities will still be as important then, or it's on the list, but these others are higher value? So I think the sort of underpinnings of smart cities doesn't change, right? The idea that we are leveraging data and information in in ways that um, improve decision-making and service delivery, that will remain. Smart cities can sometimes get dressed up in different ways and it it shows up on your doorstep as like sensors or this or that. And I think for me, um, being a smarter city is, is doing all of the things and really looking holistically and strategically. Um, so I, you know, I don't want to say no smart cities isn't, but I think for me, it's a bit more nuanced because, um, just because of the way it, it sometimes gets dressed up. I, and I'm not, I don't want to say that that's any particular person or industry's fault, but I, I do want to be really thoughtful about how we think about that in in San Francisco. Yeah, thank you. So if I think about the three takeaways uh, in this podcast, it's been clarity is kindness. The open data is really just the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg, all the internal collaboration, getting the stakeholders on the same page, the range of data sources is huge. And then it's really about listening, maybe in brown bag sessions. Would there be one other thing you'd add or did I get that right? No, I think that's a good summary. I mean, yeah, those are good takeaways for, for uh, your listeners. And I, I, I hope uh, they can take that back to their organization. Yeah, no, it's great. So if I can end with one last question, Jason, I always like to ask, what, what are you grateful for? Of course, family, health. Yeah. But beyond that. Yeah, I am grateful for being where I am right now in this moment. And what I mean by that is I've thought about this a lot, thought about, you know, how, my, my path and my journey to here. And it just feels like the right place right now. And I'm so grateful for that because I have a great team and I'm surrounded by wonderful leaders across the city who are all committed and working very hard and, and not just hard but smart and really trying to to dismantle um structures of racism and, and and other things that are the reasons that i joined government to begin with so i am so grateful that i get to do that that i get to wake up and commit my skills and and talents to that work that's what i'd say i'm i'm grateful for yeah thank you jason it i feel like it crystallizes something i've said that i have a hope that that data can help make the world a better place. And it feels like you're actually doing that. Thank you. Uh, I hope so too. (laughs) All right, Jason Lally, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or listen to more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout on Twitter at BI Scorecard. The Data Chief is brought to you by our friends at ThoughtSpot. Searching through your company's data for insights doesn't have to be complicated. ThoughtSpot makes it easy. With ThoughtSpot, anyone in your organization can easily answer their own data questions, find facts, and make better, faster decisions. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.
The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.